please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In our preaching this morning, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a very special message, and that message is the gospel of God, the gospel of Almighty God. Now, today we may not get very excited about messages. If you go around to different homes, you might see the words, no junk mail, on the outside of the letterbox. People usually don't want to get a lot of messages in through their letterbox. But, you know, we might be afraid it's a bill or something being advertised to us we're not interested in at all. I remember when I was growing up, um, my aunt who, lives, who lived in New York, she used to always write to us and it was always a very exciting occasion. My mother would read us the letter and we'd all be like trying to find out what was going on with our cousins in America. I think there was a time when letters and messages were exciting things. I think we can take those things for granted, can't we? We have emails, we have Zoom, we have all these things. But messages are, for most of human history, have always been exciting. If you're going to write a letter, and if you're going to go to the difficulty of mailing it and sending it off, it was usually something important. Something important was to be said. Well, the most important news of all is found in the gospel. It is the good news. It is the good news to all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. It is the good news for all those who have repented of their sins. It is the good news for all those who this morning are saved. And it is the good news that is well worth listening to and being excited about. So Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 7. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Nearly 10 years ago now, or a little bit over 10 years ago, um, the most exciting letter, the most exciting message that I could receive was a letter from my now wife. We wrote to each other for about six months, getting to know each other at first. She was in college in America and I was in Italy and we wrote to each other and I looked forward to those letters. I still have them till this day. Messages for a very long time were very exciting. Good news, things worth sharing 
Um, it, it, you didn't put everything in there. You put the most important things in there. Joyful messages. Sharing things that are important for your loved ones. Now, as wonderful as those letters that I received from my now dear wife many years ago were, there's a more important message right here. And that's the gospel of God. It's his message. It's his love letter to his people. A message we all need to hear. A message we all need to read and pay attention to as believers in Jesus Christ. And indeed, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, even more so, for this is the message which will determine your eternal destiny, eternal heaven or eternal hell. One which the Apostle Paul was set apart to. This gospel of God, as he says in the first verse, separated to the gospel of God. He brings good tidings to the Romans. He brings a message which promises forgiveness if trusted in. He brings a way and, a tr- and the truth and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He presents that to them as his introduction to this letter. How our guilt can be removed. How the stain of sin can be washed away. How you can be made clean. And how you can be restored. As an image bearer of almighty God. Washed and clothed in the righteousness of another. That is not a righteousness that you have in yourself. Today we are bombarded with messages and We hear things on the internet. We don't know what to believe. Well, here is the message which we are to believe above all else. The gospel of God. The one we must listen to. So as we look at this text, we're going to look at verses 1 to 7. We're going to look at it under a few headings, five headings here. The first heading here is number one, the priority of the gospel The priority of the gospel, or put it another way, the gospel must come first. It must come first. Paul, the apostle, went from someone who attacked the gospel. I think we can forget that when we read this. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And uh, we remember... Paul or Saul of Tarsus, he tormented the church. He saw this this as the most insulting thing for any Jew could do, following after this man who claimed to be the son of God. And then on that road to Damascus, he was wonderfully changed. And he said, Lord, what would you have me do? He is changed. He is someone now separated unto this message he once fought Against an incredible transformation. Why? Because Paul figured it out? Because Paul was more clever than anyone else? No. Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. He now serves Christ. And he's called an apostle. He's called an apostle. And what does an apostle mean? Literally, an apostle means a sent one. Someone who has been sent. Sent by who? The Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle, didn't send themselves. He is sent by Christ. Also here it says, he is separated. 
separated to the gospel of God. Separated to the gospel of God. And this word to separate has almost a sense of to sever, to cut off, to set the boundaries around something. There is a sense in which it is to very much cut off from everything else. Now today this language may seem very severe. Paul, an apostle, you're being a bit over the top, aren't you? You're being a bit obsessive about this this gospel message. Surely uh, there's other things in life. You don't want to just be focusing in on that. That would be the more modern response, wouldn't it? To be so dedicated towards something. This is another way you could say this, that he was dedicated to the gospel of God. Something he once fought against. Now, if you are involved in sports, if you're involved, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're in anything else. If somebody says you're dedicated, so dedicated to your calling, people would say, oh, that's okay. That's actually quite respectable. If you were dedicated to maybe playing a musical instrument like guitar or piano, wow, look at all the, look at all the time you put into it. And people, would be, people would think very highly of that. But if you do that with the gospel, not so much. To be set apart to the gospel, it can make people feel uncomfortable. Even people who may profess Jesus Christ as Lord. People who may attend churches across this island. Now, Paul was not casual toward this message. He was separated unto it. He was dedicated towards it. He was severed off from everything else. And this is what he lived for. And remember, we're still in the introduction to this letter. Paul is introducing himself. This is who I am. This is my identity. I am set apart to the gospel message. He's not casual about this at all. He's completely given over to this. Now, if the message is not that important, if this message is, okay, it's important, but not that important, it would be a tragedy. Oh, look at all the time you're spending on a gospel message. And, and people, some would see, maybe even see it as a waste of time and effort. But because of the priority of the gospel, because it is first, because it is the most important message you'll ever read or believe in or trust, we're bombarded with messages today, aren't we? We're not sure what to believe. Over the last number of years, people are scratching their heads with all even the health information given out different things and people don't know what to believe anymore here is what we are to believe above all else for God is not the author of confusion because of the priority of the gospel and in the importance of this message we rejoice when we trust it we rejoice when we hear it we're never ever going to get to the point as believers in Jesus Christ and we think ah I don't need to hear about that gospel anymore I I did that years ago I've, I've heard people say things much like that when, when sharing the gospel with people. Oh, I sorted that out years ago. Friends, the gospel message should make our hearts rejoice. If we see people giving the gospel message out, it should make our hearts rejoice. Because you see how important it is, this gospel of God, And if we don't believe it, if we don't have it, does, does a, an image bearer of God, does he have any hope? Not at all. Not at all. 
Surely, dear friends, it is something worthy of dedicating yourselves towards. Well, the young people here this morning, perhaps you think, well, I want to have fun. And there's nothing wrong with fun, is there? At all. But this is the most important thing you're ever going to learn about, this message. We can, have, we can play games, we can go on holidays, we can do all these things. Of course we can. But the gospel is the most important thing in our lives because it really shares Christ with others. It really shares Christ with our soul. But let us think about this as well. Is it possible to trust in Christ, but perhaps at times in our walk, neglect this message? It is. Very much so. We can forget what a blessing we have. We can listen to the world, the flesh and the devil, and we can think, that's not that important. That the gospel is not the most important thing in our lives. That would be a heartbreaking tragedy if we ever drifted from seeing how much this message must come first. This message must be cherished as it was by Paul. It must be shared. And it's not just for those in offices. It's not just for apostles. It's not just for elders. It's not just for deacons. It's for all of God's people. Something to share. Something to love. So we've looked at the priority of the gospel. Number two now we're going to look at the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel. People often promise much, but under-deliver, and we can all be like that. People, we will maybe want to do something, we promise to do something, and something will happen. Maybe your car breaks down. Maybe something that you don't think will happen happens, and you can't do what you promised to do. People may knock on your door and they're trying to sell you something and it might sound too good to be true. And whatever offers you have heard is nothing compared to what is promised in the gospel. Verse 2, let's look at verse 2. Which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And no matter how much of a fantastic thing you've been promised in your life, the gospel is the greatest promise of all. And this promise, it's not just a new thing that Paul writes about in in the first century, 2,000 years ago, to these Romans who were reading this. This promise goes right back to the beginning. This promise goes right back to the beginning when Adam fell in sin. When there was a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The gospel message goes right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Promise in the law and the prophets, the seed of this woman, and, and she's at war, it's described as, with the, the seed of the serpent. It's in Christ alone that there's victory. This victory is also pointed out in the Old Testament. You'll see the picture of the lamb. The lamb. And there's a picture that goes right back to Genesis 22. The lamb was sacrificed. 
It says in Genesis 22, verses 7 and 8, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And if you remember, God told Isaac to sacrifice, or Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, the question is, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Who will provide the burnt offering? Who will provide the lamb? God will provide the lamb. And John the Baptist in the New Testament said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. The Son of God is pictured here as the Lamb. The promise has come and is a promised victory over enemies. It says in Psalm 2 verse 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And this promise goes back thousands of years before Paul wrote this. Remind yourselves what Paul wrote on the, on the inspiration of the Spirit of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. This has been promised. This is not something new in the New Testament. This goes right back to the beginning. This gospel promise, this promise coming from God. And because it was for thousands of years and it was the Bible was written at the beginning with Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, we may think, well, will this happen? Oh, thousands of years have passed. But Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says this, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see what it says here? Peter writes in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And he's certainly not slack concerning this promise in verse 2 when he says he promised before, this gospel of God before, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What was that promise? Promise that long before Christ, the Lord of glory, became flesh. Let's pause for that for a second, shall we? The promise. Our God is without beginning and without end. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, says he's without passions. simple way of thinking about that is this. He cannot suffer. He cannot suffer. The Lord, God cannot suffer. So we say, how did Jesus suffer and die for us? Well, he became flesh. He became flesh. The infinite God takes on finite flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ is true God and true man. And because of this, he could suffer the just for the unjust. He would overcome darkness and bring light to this world. 
because we have sinned and we've fallen in Adam. And that light has come into the world. And that light is what we are to look to. It says in Isaiah 42 verse 6, I the Lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. A light. Men loved darkness rather than light. Without this message, dear friends, without loving this message, without loving the one who is offered in this message, Jesus is offered in the message. You're in darkness. And you're on the defeated side. It goes right back to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the serpent. They're the only two possibilities. The seed of the woman that will be victorious. That is Christ. Or the seed of the serpent. Which will be crushed. Under the feet. Of the victor. That is Christ. Promised victory. Promised defeat. That's what's promised in the gospel. Belief brings victory. Unbelief brings defeat. And this message calls us all to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and to look to him by faith and by faith alone. The the third point we're going to look at here this morning is the provision of the gospel. The provision of the gospel or what is given in the gospel. How can we have a right relationship with God? It's one of the most Profound, deepest questions you can ever ask. How can we, sinners, fallen, finite, even if we'd never sinned, we don't still deserve anything from God. Anything received from Him is because He has promised it to us. So how can we have a right relationship with God? See, I think we, we can often think in our lives, of course, I'm a good person. God owes me. Friends, the only thing he owes us is his wrath. If it's for what we've done. But how can God accept us? How can we, if we want to approach God in prayer, if we, we breathe our last breath and we leave this world and we, we go toward God, and we stand before God, how can we stand and viewed as righteous and as pleasing before God? It's a very different question. Because we've sinned. But, but I've, I've done a good thing. You've sinned. If you go before a judge, and you've broken the law, you don't say, oh yes, I've done that terrible thing, but I've also done all these good things. You will still be punished. For those bad things you have done. And dear friends. We also have to remember our greatest deeds. Are but filthy rags. This is us. How can we have a right relationship with God? How can, can you obey the law of God perfectly? That's what the law requires. Can you love God perfectly? Every second of your life. Can you love your neighbor as yourself perfectly every second of your life? I said, I've never done that. Well, dear friend, I haven't done it either. None of us have. Well, there's one. The Lord Jesus Christ did it. Every moment of his life, he loved the Father perfectly. Every moment of his life, he loved his neighbor perfectly. Without sin in word, in thought, 
or indeed. Only he could ever do that. And he was tempted by the devil, tested in all points, yet without sin. How can we have a right relationship with God? You see, when we see that, that that door to our own righteousness is closed, that's a wonderful thing to see. This door is closed. Your righteousness can't bring you acceptance before God. It can't. It's not even possible. And it's only through another door who is the truth and the way and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. This message is concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. This infinite God takes on finite flesh. He came to suffer. And even before the cross, the infinite God, who, who controlled heaven and earth, when he's surrounded by storms in the, in the boat with his disciples, in his, in his, as God, he controls everything. And as man, he's asleep, resting. This man, this God, provides everything needed for us to be saved. Everything needed. Not just some things. Not just the possibility of being saved. He provides everything needed to be saved. Now you think, he provided all that is needed. Can I just, well, okay, I don't need to, don't need to think about this anymore. I can do nothing. How are we to respond? By faith. By faith alone. We look to him who saves. We look to him who washes. We look to him who died. Look with the eye of faith. And it sounds so simple, isn't it? In a way it is, but we don't want to look by nature. We don't want to look because men love darkness rather than light. It's only when God takes pity on us but we're to look to him by faith. We're to trust in him. Now we think, well, I've believed, I've trusted. Am I in any way better than my lost neighbor? I, I know a neighbor of mine and they don't, they don't believe at all. Am I any way better than they? No, not at all. You may have looked, but you have looked because the Lord has taken pity on you. Because that faith is a gift of God. Why have you looked? God has given you life. God has given you peace. Dear friends, the gospel message to be really understood means we have nothing to boast about. Not even the faith which, which we look toward Jesus Christ. Nothing to boast about. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. God has provided all that is needed. And because he has provided all that is needed in his son the Lord Jesus Christ. How he lived perfectly. He died taking away our punishment. 
He rose from the dead showing that he, everything he spoke about was true. And because all these things are true and because all these things are provided in the gospel, what can you provide for your salvation? Nothing. What was it the old hymn said? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Number four now, the power. The power of the gospel. The, the enemies of God wanted Jesus to remain in the grave, didn't they? If you look at the end of the gospels, they were desperate for Jesus not to be seen to raise from the dead. And they'd understood what it would be seen like if, if the body and their minds went missing. What did the resurrection of Jesus tell the world? Look at verse 4. The resurrection of Jesus Christ told them, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. There's a sense in which this introduction is a very ordinary introduction. You can see it in a lot of letters in the New Testament. But there's also a sense in which, look at how much there's in here. This is just an introduction. Paul introduces himself and says, here is who I am. And I'm here because of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he's been raised from the dead. It's a fairly common introduction, but it's also extraordinary and incredible in its content. He's telling them whom he's dedicated toward. This same power which declares Jesus the Christ, that's the anointed one or the Messiah, to be the Son of God. That same power raised you, the believer in Jesus Christ, from spiritual death. Do you see that? And it's the same power that will raise our bodies on the last day. It says in Psalm 40, verse 2, Psalm 40, verse 2. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. But it's all God who's done that. It's not you. I have not set myself and taken myself out of a horrible pit. I dug that horrible pit. I brought myself into that horrible pit. But it's God who took me out of the miry clay. He is the one who set my feet upon a rock. And he is the one who established my steps. Yes we know this in our minds. But we can so often forget these things. No matter how long we've been saved. It's so easy to forget. The power by which we've been saved. It's the power of God. It's the power of God. That same power raised Jesus. From the dead. And if you think about the power of God. That is the same power that spoke the world into existence out of nothing. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Not by your power. Not by the power of a preacher. Not by the power of anything else, but by the power of Almighty God. And dear friends, if you're a believer today, you can have confidence in the promises of the gospel because of the power 
that was declared to the world through the resurrection. The resurrection. It showed that he was sinless. If he, if he was not sinless, he'd be still in the grave. It showed he was whom he said he was. The son has been the son from all eternity. Eternally begotten of the father. But declared by his resurrection. That everything said about this man, this God, was true. That Jesus was not just true man, but also true God. It says this in Acts chapter 13. Verses 32 to 33. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us their children. In that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today. I have begotten you. Now the son is always begotten of the father. From eternity. But that day. Declared openly to be so. And in Acts. Pointing it to the resurrection. If he is the one who represents us. When we come to the father. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in his reputation. We come clothed in his righteousness. We come with the power of God. If we come, will he turn us away? If we come in the name of Jesus, would he ever turn away any in his son? No. He has given us victory if we have power through him. Now perhaps you're here this morning, perhaps you have health problems. Perhaps things are aching in your body. Friends, there's going to come a day when there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That same God who raised Jesus from the dead, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will have a resurrected body one day. That's something we have to look forward to. That's something that's been promised to us. And can he do such things? Absolutely. Not Maybe not in this world will we have perfect healing. Not at all. But in the world to come, we certainly will. Is this message worth sharing? It's a powerful message. It's a glorious message. And if it is believed, it's a transforming message. Our final point, number five, is the privilege of the gospel. The privilege of the gospel. So we've looked at the priority, the promise, the provision, the power. And finally, number five, The privilege of the gospel. We Christians are the most privileged people. Of any people. To walk upon the face of the earth. It doesn't matter how much money people may have. It doesn't matter what job you may have. It doesn't matter what station in life you have. It doesn't matter how much people respect you or don't respect you. If you're a Christian. You are the most privileged of all people. To walk upon the face of the earth. Paul writes to the Romans, through him we have received, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. He's speaking about him and the other apostles. And verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Jesus 
Christ. The apostle and all the apostles have received a great and mighty blessing. But there's a sense in which we have received just as good of a blessing. We have received grace. We have received the righteousness of Christ. And we have a right relationship with God in and through him. Called to be saints. Holy ones, that means. Imagine, you're seen in Jesus Christ as holy. We just think, you have no idea what I've done. I know, I, I have no idea what you've done. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you've been washed. You've been clothed. And he does not see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees something or someone to delight in. Do you see that? To delight in. He doesn't put up with you. He delights in you. Imagine if we could wrap our minds around that. What would it do to our prayer life? What would it do to our Christian life? To know how much God cares for you, a believer. It would change you. It would change you. You do not burden the Lord with your prayers. If they come in the name of Christ, he delights in them. You've been called by the king himself. We've seen this recently, haven't we, with, with the coronation of King Charles III. Imagine you were invited to that. Imagine if, you, if Charles III put you, covered you in royal robes and honored you and told everyone, this is my son or daughter, you are part of my family and I love you. How would the newspapers react? How would you react? I'm sure you'd probably tell the story for the rest of your life. And I, we are to respect our monarch, but he is nothing compared to Christ. The privilege we have in Jesus Christ is so far greater than anything in this world. My friends, we forget it. So often, don't we? We are so privileged to be Christians. You may be going through a really, really hard time. But you are privileged to be a Christian. At the end of the day, in a hundred years time, in a thousand years time, in ten thousand years time, all that will matter is whether you're in heaven or whether you're in hell. Isn't it? Whatever you're going through. All that matters, how are you trusting in Jesus? And if you're trusting in Jesus, you are the most blessed and most privileged of all people. What a message of good news this is. What a message this is. This, this is light in shining in a dark world. And it is a dark world. But dear friends, we have so much to look forward to in Jesus Christ. The best is truly yet to come. You, if you have this morning been set free from slavery to sin, you're walking on your road toward a heavenly home. The best is ahead. Because 
God's blessed presence is there. Amen.